This reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. The 16th chapter begins with the 13th verse. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Here ends the reading. This week I was listening to the radio and they were interviewing some folks in, in the States about life and just how things were going in their lives in the midst of a pandemic. And they happened to interview a family, a husband and a wife who had two young daughters. And they were talking about the way that they were you know, living their lives now. And about six years ago, the husband, who was a chemist, had fulfilled a lifelong dream of starting a business of his own. It was actually a distillery, and, and he'd, they'd become you know, decently successful over the years. They'd built the business up, and then, of course, the pandemic came. And the woman was also a scientist, and, but was still had her job and still was going into work most days. And so their lives had been disrupted And as they talked, you could tell some of the worries and fears, especially about the small business. And the man revealed that if things stayed exactly the same, his business probably had about a month left. And they began to talk about that. It was very emotional, as you can imagine. And so the the interviewer at one point said, well, so what, what's keeping you going? And the woman replied, I think the only thing that's keeping us going really right now is faith. She said, we're both church-going Christians. And I was sort of blown away by that just because you don't hear that much around. We talk about it like in the church, but, but on a radio program, on a nationally thing, and this was not a faith-based radio program, I was surprised just that that came right out for her. And, and it was heartening to me, but it, it made me think about this passage because for so many of us, in small ways or in big, big ways, like the foundations of the way we live our lives has been shaken. For some people, the foundation feels like it is cracked and there's a, just a big hole there and there's no sure footing anywhere depending on whether we've lost jobs or whether we've had to pivot businesses or, or, or whether we're still trying to figure out how we're going to care for children who are at home and who have to go to school 
and do we have the resources for that? And, and how do we do all those things? All of these questions just feel like all the things that we used to take for granted have been shaken. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Things that we thought about how our schools operate. Things we thought about how we care for the less privileged in our society and the role that social services or that the community takes in that. All of that has shifted. The things that we thought about how people were treated in the United States and around the world has also shifted as, as our eyes are being opened to oppression and to racism again anew in, with fresh eyes. This pandemic has shaken the foundations of so much and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I mean, just think about it. So many of us are working from our bedrooms. You know, we don't see friends or neighbors very often, not in person anyway. Some of us are not working at all and are worried that we're not going to be able to make it, that we'll be out on the street. Many are afraid that getting sick with this disease is an instant death and so live in constant fear. And I bring all this up because I, I just want to recognize all of that. Because so much of the time we can begin to just pretend that these things aren't happening and we just, as the saying would be, we man up or we woman up and we just keep charging forward. But then I started thinking about this gospel passage and about what the identity of Jesus means for us as we think about his identity for us. Now, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and if you don't know anything about Caesarea Philippi, it was, of course, it's named after Caesar, and it was, it was being governed by one of the four sons of the original Herod, Philip, and so that's why it's called Caesarea Philippi. The original Herod had built a, a temple to Caesar there at one time. For a long, long time, there had been a temple there and honor given to the god Pan, and there's a deep cave and a cliff. So you go into this cave and then there's a big cliff that goes off into the water. And they used to sacrifice people there. And as homage to Pan over the years. So there's, so there's this very interesting, complicated history about this place. But it's a place of worshiping other gods. Because of course Caesar is viewed as a god. The emperor was viewed as a god or the son of a god. And so I think it's interesting that as they come near to this region and in other gospels it says they were actually at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them, well, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, well, some say it's John the Baptist or some say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns that question to, well, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear what other people are saying. Now I want to hear what you say. So who do you say that I am? And what's interesting about that is he first asked the question, who do they say the son of man is? I just wonder, did they realize he was asking about himself? Because son of man was also a phrase that was used sometimes just for people who were Jews because they were quote unquote sons of men. But 
oftentimes it was used in a much higher way to talk about King David or to talk about the Messiah who was to come. But then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answers, it's very famous, right? You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And as I said to the children, Messiah, Christ, it means the anointed one. Basically, it's Hebrew or Greek. It's, it's just different, different words that get translated that way, Messiah and Christ. You're the son of the living God. And what's amazing about this is how political this statement is. Is how political this statement is. Because, again, Caesar was called the son of God because Caesar was the son or they believed the son of the other Caesar. And so they said that he was the son of God. But this says the son of the living God, not the son of a dead God. Very political already. That something about acknowledging Jesus as the Christ says something about how we operate in the world and how we think about who we put our faith in, who we put our trust in, and who our leaders are. And Jesus then answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. I love this because he says, who do other people say that I am? Well, some say this, some say that, some say the other thing, right? Flesh and blood is revealing it to them. And he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father did. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is one of the most hotly contested passages in the Bible right here. Because basically it says, and I tell you, you are Petra. Petra. So, which is, so it's a play, which means rock. And then he says, and on this rock I will build my church, or ecclesia, which is a, a fellowship, a gathering. Uh, the Greek word means the sent out ones. And so the Roman Catholic Church has used this to say that Peter was the first pope and that if you are not in a line of being anointed, laid on hands from Peter, then there isn't this apostolic succession and so it's not the true church. Of course, Protestants have a huge issue with this. And as you study the language behind this, I actually think that Jesus is doing what he often does. He's sort of riffing on things. He's, he's saying to Peter, yeah, you know, your name is Rock, you know. Not Dwayne Johnson, the Rock, but your name is Rock. Yeah, you're a Rock, but on this Rock, on this Rock, I will build the church. On the confession that you just made, on the Messiah, on the Son of the living God, that is where we will build this church this congregation, this, we will build this fellowship, we will build these people who are the sent out ones, and the gates of Hades cannot prevail against this rock and this community. I think it's a fascinating way to think about this passage. That the church is not built on this human person, but built on the fully embodied Son of God, Jesus and our confession about him. That the church is not built on something man-made, but the church is built on something heaven-sent. And so, as we think about what the foundational pieces of our lives are, 
It isn't the, the bricks and the stones and the, and the floor that make up this gathering space. I mean, we know this intellectually, but we don't live it out very well. It's the community of people who confess that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. And when we have that as our foundation, when we have that as our rock, like that couple in the news story, how are you getting through? We're standing on the solid rock of our faith. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Christ is a living stone upon which we build. In 1 Peter it says, and you, you followers of Jesus, like living stones, allow yourselves to be built into a spiritual house. I love that passage because it doesn't say build yourselves. It says allow yourselves to be built into a spiritual house. A spiritual house against which the gates of Hades cannot prevail. Something that is stronger than any other foundation that we might call upon. The foundations of our lives are shaken, cracked. Maybe they feel broken. Maybe you feel unsteady. But on Christ, the solid rock, on the Messiah, we place all of our hope And we think about how then we are to live in this time, how we are to care for others and see the needs around us, how we are to acknowledge those fears and those failures that we have in ourselves, the ways that we are hurting, the ways that we are just trying to cling for hope, the way we are just seeking to continue to love even when it feels like things are not going well that we can still be the sent out ones to bring a message of hope, to bring a message of love, to do whatever we have to in order to be built into a spiritual house that might be a light shining on a hill for all of those who don't know Christ, who don't have a faith that gives them light and life in the midst of dark times. And so many more things are going to happen and we don't know what's going to happen. We know that there are many congregations who will probably close because of this pandemic. The church is going to be shaken as we know it. And I mean the little C church. But the church, the big C church, the ecclesia is going to be just fine because at its root is Christ, the Messiah, the solid rock upon which we stand. And so I pray, brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ, that we might seek to be built into a spiritual house, that when these troubles come, we might reach out to each other, that we might come together brand new to lift up each other, to hold each other near and dear and to serve all of those around us who are hurting, who are oppressed, who feel cast out, who don't have hope. Because in Christ, we have been given all things and we have a solid place to stand. Amen.